guys. Yes. Yes. We don't have asbestos. <gasps> Yay! I saw that. That was great. Oh, it's all good. Awesome. It's all good. And the new hardwood flooring is in, and it feels like I'm in somebody else's house. It's awesome. Well, I was so glad that it wasn't asbestos because they could really fleece you, those guys. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a little weird. Uh, I've never lived in such a nice house, I guess. And now we're no longer <laughs> embarrassed to have people over because we don't have like stained carpets and, and everything. So it's it's pretty amazing. Well, now you gotta Now you got to keep it clean, though. I know. Before you could just be like, "Oh yeah, that stain was totally right. there for twenty years." Not my coffee from yesterday. Well, the the funny thing is, if you stand at the doorway, you could actually see five different floors between the living room, the entryway, and the the dining room, and the kitchen, and the hallway. And now it's it's all one. Oh, that's and nice. yeah, it's, it's it's really nice. And while we so we started painting before the install and we did not care about like covering up the floors so the old carpet and the old oh. and the old um tile just had paint all over it we spilled paint one time and it was so for like two weeks it was really embarrassing to have anybody over <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's funny because like we um you know we've done all this renovation and stuff to the house and there's the front couple of rooms like the dining room there's like a small living room and a little entryway and those are ones we hadn't touched yet because the flooring has to connect to the kitchen. And anyway, and so like it was kind of the same way where I was painting walls and I'm like, well, this floor is going to get covered. Who cares? And just leave it like that. And the people that are over all the time, they know so it's not a big deal. You don't really care about that. But we had a birthday party this weekend for my daughter. And so a bunch of her friends from school's parents showed up with their kids and they walk into the front door into this room that has like paint all over the floor and there's like paint in one room that we didn't finish because we didn't like the color and the, yeah i feel you because i was like oh huh i guess it looks like we kind of don't care about our house but, oh well uh, there was a time when we were kids where the house that we were growing up in it was a really old house it was like 100 years old uh we, they tore down all the wallpaper and it just had the the plaster and they're going to paint and so our uh my mom and and stepdad they're they told us three kids, like, you can draw on the walls all you want. And so we had all these drawings and crayons and, and everything. Probably should not have used crayons because it was hard to paint over. Um, but we <laughs> made all these drawings on the wall and then they painted it. And I wish so bad that we took photos of it because there's no there's no oh, record yeah. of that. But huh. and, it, and I do remember it taking a long time, like many months for it to get painted. So all of our caveman drawings were all over the living room and dining room. That's pretty awesome. You know, that reminds me of something funny. Uh, in my, my kitchen, my dad made the table that's there. It's it's like an old school sort of trestle table and uh, kind of like a classical like farmhouse table. And me and my brothers and sisters were, were small enough. We'd be underneath the table. We drew underneath the table and we wrote our names and dates oh, and stuff. Yeah. I haven't looked underneath there in 20 years. It's When we were little kids, like little enough to be under the table and like almost standing and looking up at it. <laughs> We wrote our names at markers and stuff. So that's still there under the table in my kitchen. That's awesome. I, you should take I, pictures of that stuff. I mean, I have to now that so I'm bringing it. it up. Yeah, for sure. That's so funny. I just remembered that. I completely blocked that memory. <laughs> huh. Because you're saying like drawing on stuff. When we did the kitchen here, me and Taylor spray painted all over the walls and then covered it all up with the, the new wall treatments. So if the kitchen ever gets redone, they'll peel back this layer and there'll be graffiti and green spray paint all over the walls. Nice. <laughs> you did it just for fun. That's cool. Yeah. You leave any like cryptic messages? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just now. Yeah. The, I'm from the future. And I said, <laughs> I put the date like 20, 
99, you know, dates like that and stuff. <laughs> Don't look under the floorboards. What? <laughs> yeah, you put like look behind you on one wall and then on the other wall you put look behind you. So they're constantly look, turning around, assuming somebody's behind them. Yeah, I'm watching you. That's pretty good. <laughs> no, I ripped out my bathroom here and there was a newspaper in there from 1920. It was really de- it was really oh, decayed because wow. it had some water damage. But I was at somebody like me or you guys, you know, redid the, the constructions. Like, oh, wouldn't it be cool that whoever rips open this wall sees what this is? And it was this. Mm. It was kind of like a pile of flakes. But I was able to, deci- to decipher that it was like the Brooklyn Eagle from the 1920s. We found some paper, and I can't remember what it was now. Uh, when I was in Savannah, like, we, there was a building on the river. So the river is like the oldest part of Savannah. Everything started at the river and moved away from it. So... <clears throat> there's this row of buildings that are 200 plus years old and um, there are these giant brick buildings where the boats would pull up, put all their stuff in and then you know they would take it into the city from these warehouses and so we had an office in one of these buildings and they were gutting part of it to rebuild the office next to us and so we got to go in there and like kind of you know play around and stuff and we found <clears throat> excuse me, we found some like old Bottles and stuff from not from way back, but like from maybe the early 20th century or something, you know, where they had done one renovation Mm. and and kind of thrown some stuff in the walls. And we found some paper and I can't remember what it was now. So this is a horrible story. (laughs) But hold on. Let's let's just pause. Let's just make a plan. Just lie and say it was the Charlotte Gazette. What town was it? Savannah Gazette. We we found the Declaration of Independence (laughs) in the wall. It was half rotted, so it wasn't worth any money. It was a handwritten message from the future saying, Bob, follow your dreams. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yep, that's what it said. Signed, David Picciuto. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. What have you guys been working on? Anything cool? Not really. Uh, Things have been a little slow with with everything going on here. This week, we I don't know if the video is going to come out this week or next week it might be a few weeks out but this week we're working on the the desk for my office so uh in the past i had um i made a couple file cabinets and right now there's just a a sheet of plywood over top of that and that's my desk and i'm gonna i now that i've i've been using this makeshift desk for a few weeks i kind of know what i need and what i don't need so we're going to redo the top and then i'm going to make a little component spaces for my monitors and music gear and keyboard and mouse and and everything and it's going to be a very customized personalized desktop that's very cool now you have your music stuff in another room right are you going to be bringing it into there no um so there's a directly across the hall is where all the guitar amps and and drums are set up and then in here is where the computer is and um, so a lot, so a lot of like synth stuff and programming stuff I will do here in this room. If wow. I need to record drums, I'll take the laptop into the other room, which the mics are already set up and I'll just record and then I'll save that logic file on my network here at home. And then I can come into the, my desktop computer and open that file up. Not the most ideal situation, but it works pretty well for what we need to do. Yeah. Huh. I'm we're trying to figure out some some stuff kinda like that where you know, my office and the room where all my music equipment is are right next to each other. <clears throat> and I was thinking about poking a hole in the wall 
to run mic cables through. So if I wanted to record drums or anything, I can just leave everything in there. But then I'll we're also going to be recording um, some live streams and a new podcast that we're thinking about doing from that room. And so now we need cameras in there as well. And so I'm like trying to figure out the best way to like, should I bring a computer in there to do all that stuff? Would that just be easier mm. to do a live stream or, you know, run everything through the wall with the cameras? And yeah, I'm not sure what we're doing yet, but trying to figure that out. So anyway, Jimmy, what do you up to? This week I went to the Carolina Shoe Factory. Did you get a, guys get a chance to see any of my social media on that? Yeah. Went with uh, with Graz yeah. and Jackman and Andrew Setters. We had a ball, man. We were laughing the entire time being super silly. Oh, by the way, uh, everyone's. Have you guys seen the new the new Instagram account? The rest of burger. Yes. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. <It's, laughs> yeah. I forgot all about that. Uh, we we were trying to make a, a hamburger, recognize the face mapping, and all of a sudden somebody at the table for an Instagram, yeah, on Instagram right? one night just goofing around, yeah. and then we had a big meetup in in Pennsylvania, in Altoona, Pennsylvania, kind of near Pittsburgh, and. At the end of the night, we're all just sitting around and there was one hamburger left and I started to try and face map it and it wasn't working. And then at one point while we were sitting at the table, it was about 10 of us. Somebody made the account duress the burger. I'm, I'll tell you guys off, <laughs> off camera who did it, but, and he's just been silly. I just said, don't get me in trouble. That's all he has. Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> so he's turning it into an art, an art thing. He's, he's still going with it. So it's not me. Everyone keeps asking me, what is this? I go, it's not me. <laughs> Somebody's. <laughs> it's a parody account is what I said. And a really mm. funny thing is we we were at dinner and and somebody says, oh, because we were trying to get the hamburger to recognize the face. And then one of the... <laughs> <laughs> what a weird <laughs> sentence. And, right, and so then we're at dinner and, and Allie is, is one of the girls that that's from Carolina who who's our host at Carolina. She's like, oh, I got this great app where you could make animals talk. And she goes, it'll probably work for the burger. And with this app, you could basically take a picture of anything and map where a face should be on it. And then whatever you say, it'll it'll obviously parakeet whatever you say. And so that's why suddenly all these different things that talk popped up. Cups and hamburgers. Like, like and me. you. I didn't do There's that. There's a picture of me. I didn't do that. I did not do that. <laughs> I still did this to don't get me fired from my own podcast, please. <laughs> you want to walk and, uh, out that nice. Yeah, and and That's somebody right. made Nick Offerman say some funny stuff. Two strikes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, so that's the rest of Burger, born out of the uh, Carolina Boots Factory tour, and I, it was amazing. If you guys did not know this, I'm going to start working for Carolina. But if you didn't know this, all those boots are handmade in Pennsylvania. I had no idea. I thought, you know, oh, wow. they're all handmade in Pennsylvania. So. In my in my vlog, which ultimately I'll publish, you'll see the pair of boots that I had made. I got to pick out the leather and you go through the whole line and by the end you have a pair of boots. It took basically a day. I mean, we started a little bit late and so we ended up doing one full day and then a little bit of the next day. And it was amazing. The, a, a pair of boots goes through probably 150 operations or 100 operations. I can't tell. It just seems like every two seconds there's like another thing happening to it. And what's amazing to me is all the factory workers seem to know there's like a built sheet for the shoe that goes in a little bin. And so they just look at the built sheet and they do the operation they need to do. Whatever there's like a thousand numbers on it, whatever those numbers mean to them, there's a whole grid. It's kind of like a, uh, it's, it looks like a spreadsheet. And on the spreadsheet are all these different numbers. And each one of those numbers means this is what happens to this thing. This is the size it is. 
And it's incredible that the employees are all so trained that they know by just a glance what they, what they need to do because they've all been there for so long. Every one of the employees, oh, I've been here for 30 mm. years. I've been here for 29 years. I've been here for 22 years. It's incredible. And the place is the size of like five football wow. fields. And it's just one long assembly line. And it starts out with the leather room, chopping leather, and then handing it down to the next person until the end it gets a sole on it. And then when the sole gets put on it, there's like seven other operations that happen after that. You think it's done. And then, oh, no, we got to polish it. Oh, no, we got to buff it. Oh, no, we got to tweak it. So it was amazing. It was amazing to watch it happen in real life. And as far as new videos coming out, I'm working on, oh, I have a, a DeWalt video waiting to hear from them. That'll publish maybe soon. And then I started a chisel at the blacksmithing event. And I'm going to finish that chisel here. I made a socket chisel. So the challenge was making that socket out of a piece of spring steel, a piece of steel from an old car. And so that's something I'm going to finish up on camera this week. Oh, and I'm making something else for Brooklyn, for Brooklyn, for uh, a famous singer, I guess. I, oh, for the yeah, this is going to publish Friday. So it's for Lord. So maybe that video will be out by now. Oh, yeah, oh apparently, wow. Apparently, Lord likes puzzles. So they said, make her a puzzle with the Brooklyn theme on it. And so I came up with a couple of little sketches based on some Google images. Just a picture of you. It's a picture of me. Yeah. <laughs> picture of me holding a, an ice pick. No, I, I, it's a big picture. It'd be so the good. Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, man, picture of the that. Brooklyn Bridge with uh, some images of her. But like line art images I found online of her. Like I guess it's sort of like a, a logo that her organization made of her. So I'm going to see and see it and then cut it apart on the band. So I'll make a, make a puzzle. That I have to do today. So and tomorrow's my birthday. Sweet. So. Oh, happy birthday! Wow. Oh, thank you. No, 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 happy no, no, birthday. no, no. It's okay. It's too late. Big four zero, <laughs> <Yeah>. huh? <laughs> awesome. That's so Plus cool. Eleven. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, happy birthday, you, guys. So that's it. Can we sing "Happy Birthday" without getting in trouble? Because we're a podcast. Mm. <laughs> we got to. We got to pay uh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> I don't Who think people it? want me to sing though. I think it's open now. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think the question should be: Can we sing "Happy Birthday" without being embarrassed on the podcast? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. The that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, um, let's see. I've been working on a lot of stuff. I had a big failure this past. Well, not a failure. How do I word that? Kind of a failure last week. <laughs> so I'm working on a big piece of furniture that'll be out in a few weeks, <clears throat> and it was a a plywood box you know, like a carcass for a cabinet. And then the drawers on it, I had, I have this cherry that I was making for the drawer fronts. And so, um, I was going to do a continuous piece of cherry across three drawers and cut it to match, you know, so it's, it's one piece across and then there's four rows of drawers. And so they were each one going to have a continuous piece. So it's really pretty wood, got it all milled up to, you know, perfectly the dimensions it need to be. And I went to lay it inside this carcass for this cabinet, which was an eighth of an inch bigger than the drawer fronts all the way around. So everything was going to be eighth of an inch gaps everywhere, right? To the outside, in between the drawers. And I go to lay these perfectly milled pieces in there and realize that this big 80 inch cabinet carcass that I made was all kinds of warped because I started out with like lame plywood that I didn't realize was so wavy. Like you couldn't see it by itself too badly. But once you put these really straight lines on the inside of it, it's just horrible, horrible plywood. So I couldn't mm. fix it. It was like, it was weird because we sat there and looked at this thing forever going like, well, maybe, maybe like one of the center pieces is too tall and that's making it warped. And 
you know, maybe if we put some weight on this side or put it on legs and put it on spacers, it'll put itself into position. But then I looked at one of the scrap pieces of wood from this same piece of plywood and it you could see the same wave in the scrap. So it's just in the plywood. Mm-hmm. This is really, really Could really you have fixed it with just, say a face frame? Put a face frame around the whole thing? Um I don't think so. And we thought about that. Um but the way that the whole thing is the drawer fronts have to sit flush with the front face. And so probably could have done some work to it to try to like, you know, to try that. Oh, is it the, so the draw faces like bleed to the edge so that there is no frame? Yeah. Well, of? there's an outside frame. Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard. The front of everything is mm-hmm. flush. So from the, the front faces, the outer frame, the drawer fronts, everything is flush. And so there possibly could have been some, some add-ons to it. But then it was like, well, do I spend more time trying to make this thing work or do I go get two more sheets of plywood and rebuild this thing, you know, in an hour? And just be done with it. But it's really, really frustrating. Like, I, it, it's the one of the only cases where I've seen a defect in plywood not really be visible until like that far into the project. You know, I mean, like when you're at the store, you look at a piece of plywood and you're like, oh, yeah, it's warped. I'm not going to buy that one. And I bought these because they didn't look that bad. But then when I got them into place, pretty bad. Really frustrating. Anyway, but so that's coming out in a couple of weeks. I got to finish that up and. Um, I need a plywood sponsor, like a good, good plywood sponsor. Um, but for this week, I made a canoe paddle, and I, t- I showed it to you guys last week on, um, like on the after show, and so that's going to be done to go out this week. And I don't know if I guess since I showed it to you, I actually took it out in the lake and took out the canoe and used it, and it works. <laughs> I mean, not I kind of expected it to work, but you know, it like it worked great. So I was happy. That's cool. That. You didn't like stick it in the water and come up and there was nothing left. It was just a stick. <laughs> it just melts. <laughs> yeah, it just dissolves. <laughs> yeah. I did find like, and and we talked in the after show last week, we talked about the finish. <clears throat> the finish for canoe paddles is like a whole religious debate um, that I don't want to get into. But uh, what I did on there looked fine and it worked fine, but I didn't, didn't really think about the fact that it is going to come, the tip of it is going to come in contact with rocks especially in the lake around here where, you know, there's a lot of rocks in the kind of when you're getting in to the water. And so I can tell that the finish will have to be reapplied, you know, if I end up using it a lot because um, the rocks are just going to chip it off right around the tip. But anyway, it works and I was pretty happy with it, but that'll be the video out this week. So when this shows out, everybody should be able to see that one. Uh, what else is going on? I think that's it. Oh, I had, um, <laughs> we had a birthday party for my daughter this weekend. And then uh, spring break started this weekend as well, and Easter and everything. So we had the party. We celebrated Easter together. And then they left. <laughs> so yesterday afternoon, my whole family left for a week, oh. um, which is kind of crazy. Huh. And so that sounds awesome. Like, yeah, I have a week to get a lot done, but I have so much to do. I'm already stressing about it. You just said last week that you're like 18 weeks ahead. So take it easy. (laughs) Take a deep breath. Not 18 weeks ahead. I Well, I am ahead, but I'm also going to be leaving next week. I'm going to be in California next week for a week. That's why I couldn't go on this trip with them uh, because I'm already going to be gone for a week. And so, you know, I'm just trying to not lose my What are you doing in California? Can you say? Well, uh, well, and this the the plywood thing that I was talking about that was supposed to be done last week, but the plywood warpage 
set me behind several days. And so that's bleeding over into this week and then there's next week and blah, 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 blah. I'm going out to film um, some videos for uh, like a sponsor deal. I don't really want to talk about it yet in case it doesn't happen or something, but I'm going to go shoot some videos um, for a week for someone else's channel. And uh, hopefully it'll be cool, but we'll see. I'll let you know when I get back. <laughs> <laughs> could could be awful, and then I won't tell you about it at all. We'll see. Very good. But yeah, um, what are we gonna talk about? So we get an email today. from Linus, and he says, "What is timeless design in furniture or otherwise? I doubt rustic is going to last, but what about Shaker style? The Japanese style seems to have a staying power. So does Scandinavian. What do y'all think?" So I thought uh, we could just talk about design in general. And uh, we'll, we'll start off with what we think is timeless and uh, and maybe talk about where uh, what what styles we pull from and and the future. Mm-hmm. I think straight a lot of straight, clean, straight lines is tends to be sort of timeless, even in rustic furniture, if you just do straight lines. And when you do curly cues and stuff, it tends to kind of cement something in an era. It's, if you look back, anything that's kind of curved and curly cues or any sort of ornamentation any orna- ornamental design will definitely sort of click it will click it into a, a moment in time mm-hmm. um i think w- this era w- we joked off camera a little bit about uh, about river tables and this era right now is everyone's making river tables and it's definitely a trend with the epoxy down the middle and that's that's the i was going to say the 90s what what era what would we call the era we're in you say the 80s, the 90s. Like, what do we call it we're in? 20 teens? The 20 teens, yeah. Okay. The era of the 20, the late 20 teens is going to be river tables and live <laughs> edge slabs. I, live edge slabs tend to be pretty timeless as well. No matter when you have a live edge slab, people are always like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. No the problem what. I have with the live edge though is that there's a couple times. So we have this, this bench um, and it doesn't seem to fit in visually to a lot of spaces that we have. Well, like a live edge just tends to work in any space. Maybe, maybe not, but it, it is what it is. It's sort of, it, it gets a pass, it seems like. You know, it gets like a, a designer's <laughs> pass just because I've seen lots of apartments in New York where it's all super clean design and then there's a live edge bench or a live edge side table or something. Just it, Yeah, I think it's just that natural element. It's just like, it is what it's it like is. It's like a little contrast to a room that's completely clean. And then there's that. Yeah. Or if there's a room that's rustic, it also fits in because it's, oh, wow, everything in here looks like it's old school rustic. And then there's that. That's also old school rustic. It's like you went out and hunted your own table, brought it into the house and skinned it and put it down. <laughs> <laughs> I went out and killed my own table. Hmm. I, I think like there's a bunch of, I don't know, there's a bunch of different styles that seem to be happening right now. And... I think it, if you want to talk about like what's going to have staying power or what's going to, I don't remember exactly what the original question was, but timeless. It feels like that's a really hard thing to answer from, from like a global perspective or like, you know, like you can look at it from your own perspective, the stuff that you are interested in or the stuff that you're surrounded by. And you can say that this, this table that I have right here, I liked it five years ago, but now it's starting to be old to me or whatever. But then, like, even within our country, much less worldwide, if you look across the country, you have, like, all these different hotspots of 
like what's interesting to people, you know, like you have the really urban stuff that people may really like modern things or I don't know, maybe they like something else, but just for an example, urban places really like modern things. And then you have kind of farm world who likes kind of farmhouse rustic. And then you have like people that live way out in the middle of the woods and they do the rustic thing because it's a natural fit for where they are or whatever the situations are. But it's hard to say like this, you know, Japanese design is going to work forever because it doesn't necessarily work in all of those situations right now, or it's not the the appealing thing uh, in all those situations. I've heard Izzy talk about <clears throat> how he hates mid-century modern, and uh, he was kind of doing it in a joking way, but he does really dislike the style. But he's also really into um, rustic stuff. He's made rustic furniture for his like entire career. And so like that's a place where you can't say that this style will not have staying power or does have staying power in his situation, he's more drawn to a thing because he's been, you know, in it Mm -hmm. for a really, really long time. And so mid-century or even, you know, like a a current modern style, um, those are visually really, really contrasty to what he's been doing for his entire career. So, of course, that's probably never going to catch on for him. That's never going to be something that he's going to be interested in. Whereas somebody who's been making modern furniture their entire career is probably never going to have any interest in making something that looks like it was straight off the tree, you know, or in that rustic style. So I don't know. I think that's kind of a trick question. (laughs) Like, I think it's something you can't answer because, you know, it's all taste driven. Yeah. I think even even if maybe not even at a personal level, but at like a a regional level or a, an age group yeah. level. I don't know. I think Jimmy has a really good point when he says anything with clean lines has a longer chance of, of lasting. Uh, it has more staying power and like Scandinavian and Danish modern, some mid-century modern. Um, and then like shakers. Even like slow sweeping curve, like 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 mid-century modern. Sometimes you see like the legs that come out and there's like a nice yeah. slow sloping curve around the apron or something. That's That still, you know, tends to be kind of timeless yeah. linus mentioned something about shaker style and that's been around for uh, um, i don't know exactly somebody can correct me but at, at least two or three hundred years and they they didn't have any ornaments no no decorations and stuff it was very minimal like just make what you have to make and uh that stuck around and use i i built a, a shaker table although i and laid a hot dog on top a, of it with a hot dog but um <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's super simple and super clean and i could see that style lasting for another 200 years you know it's so i i think jimmy yeah. saying the nice clean lines and straight lines has a um it brings up an interesting point yeah and i you're totally on it about the curves kind or the ornaments being a a signifier of time too. And the guys on Modern Maker podcast talked about this at one point, I'm remembering now. Um, and they talked about it in relation to cars, if I remember correctly. And, and that was a great way to, to think about like design evolution and how it changes with time. Like if you look at, and I don't have any specific examples here, but if you look at a certain era, like the 90s cars were very, had, had big swooping curves. So like take my Land Cruiser. If you look at the evolution of the design of a Land Cruiser over the course of, gosh, I don't know, the last 60 years or something. Um, you know, it started out looking a lot like a Jeep. It's very boxy, 
didn't have many curves except for the kind of utilitarian ones around the wheels and stuff. And then it got bigger, but it kept the kind of straight boxiness of it. And then in the 90s, where mine is, it started getting curvy. And so they just knocked off all the corners on everything. So it still has the box shape, but they knocked off the corners. And then the further it went from there, it just got rounder and rounder to where it actually didn't look like the same vehicle at all. And you can take any car that's been around for more than you know two or three generations, and you can see that same thing. They go boxy, they hmm. go wide curve, they go tight curve, then they go boxy again. And it's like the cycle that goes through. And, and that helps you like pinpoint. I mean, obviously, it helps you pinpoint when that one was made based on the style. And everything from the 90s had curves to it, big sweeping curves, big long curves, you know. Um, and I guess the f- furniture's the same way, maybe not maybe not decades maybe it's a bigger time span but. that's that's interesting using using cars as an example because you can actually just go to wikipedia or whatever and see the timeline of a of a certain model another thing that moves really mm-hmm. fast is is phone design because you you know just five years ago they oh, were yeah. different and then as technology advances they we can get more compact, but yet a bigger screen. And and you see all these phones; they kind of basically all have the same form, and they all kind of kind of follow each other. They're bringing the antenna back. Did you know that they're bringing back the antenna on the iPhone? Thank goodness. They're going to bring an antenna. They pulls, pull pulls out, out like a telescoping. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's good because now I can hold my phone with my teeth because that's all I ever did. I would hold it with my teeth by the antenna. That's interesting that you say that about phones, though, because like if you think about cars. The design cycle is probably what five yeah. years? Is that about what it is? And you know, with furniture or even home like architecture stuff, the the cycles are in like the decade range or in the you know multiple decade range. Cars are in the five year range, and then phones are now they redesign something something visual about them every single mm-hmm. year. That's crazy if you think about it. Like relative to that other stuff that we use, you know, just as much. Like we use our houses, we use our cars just as much <laughs> as our phones. But the fact that they feel like they have to redesign to keep selling something, maybe the longevity of the product is less. Anyway, off topic. But that's that's a really interesting point. Uh, how- I think these manufacturers want these particular items like phones and, and electronic devices. They want them to be disposable so you can buy the new model every year, every two years. Or- a car you yeah. hope to have, you know, I, I keep a car around for like six years or so. Yeah, that's true. And I guess just the cost of the thing makes you less likely to, like the cost of the phone being lower, it's still yeah. expensive, but makes it more reasonable to swap it out, you know, in a shorter yeah. amount of time. Huh. Interesting. Well, I know for me, like I'm personally have always been more interested in clean line, modern I like mid-century stuff. I don't particularly like the the colorful end of mid-century. You know how there's like there's a the dark wood and really clean and sharp edges and stuff like that. And then there's part of that same era that added in colors and added in like these big swooping. Um, what do you call that shape? That's like like a like a like a painter's palette. What's that shape? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a painter's palette. Yeah, the painter palette. No, it's not an oval. It's like a. <laughs> it's like they took an oval and squished yeah. in one side of it. You know what I'm talking about? 
Anyway. Kidney bean? <clears throat> kidney? Kidney shape? Well, anyway, Coffee they bean? added kidney. that shape, or that shape became part of, like, the visual language of of mid-century. Or maybe that's a different style altogether, and I'm just mixing the two. I'm not sure. But I tend to go towards those styles, I think, because they feel like they're going to last longer. Um, you know, and the more, I'm, I'm not big on ornamentation. I think just because I'm a little more of a function over form person. Um, but at the same time, it's tough. Like when you make stuff every week and you, I feel like I should probably be branching out and trying different styles, but my natural thing is to go to this one particular style that I think works. It's funny. It's funny. Um, you talk about color, the color treatment. If, if you treat, this is just my gut feeling. You tend to make something darker. It tends to have more of a longer lasting classical look. Whereas if you go lighter, it could kind of nail it to an era. And an Hmm. example is... Taylor and I went to a wedding in Colorado a couple of years ago and the whole this gorgeous, beautiful hotel, like in the middle of this very picturesque setting, looked like the place was made in 1988 because every single thing, every door, every trim was knotty pine with just like a light polyurethane on it. Hmm. And the whole place was completely dated. Like the whole place needed to be gutted and redone. Look like you were in the 80s. And a light treatment of wood tends to also show nicks and scuffs. So it tends to tends to look battered and old prematurely. Whereas if it's darker, it could take some fair fair bit of abuse and still maintain a, a handsome look. So that's also something to consider is the color you make it and how it's going to tie it to when it was made or the era in which it was made. So based on that comment, David, I have a question for you. When you picked, and I, you told me what kind of flooring you picked and I don't remember, I'm sorry. But when you picked the type of flooring and the color of flooring, did you pick something that matched the style that your house was built in or the style that you want your house <laughs> to be as you're redesigning it? Or, you know, yeah. like what was the... We went with a, a chestnut, which is a really dark. And we are, uh, we wish our, our house has some mid-century modern um, elements to it, but it's not a mid-century California ranch style house. And we, so we're, I think we're slowly converting it to that particular style. So we're kind of forcing our house into what we want it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we do, right? Yeah. I was just curious if, if doing the floors in a certain way was part of that, trying to get it to where you want it. Most definitely. Yeah. That's what we're doing too. I mean, our house is built in 83. So it's not, <laughs> it's not anything. It's not any style. It's just the 80s house. <laughs> um, and it's definitely not, you know, even like architecturally, it's not at all a mid-century style house. Um, but it's just a, it's the one style range that my wife and I both like. Like we both like a lot of different stuff, but that's the one place where we intersect. And so we were like, well, this would make both of us happy. And it's something we could both agree on. So let's start changing as we're renovating let's start trying to tie in as many of these style elements as we can. And then it's funny though, because you know, we're doing that on the inside where you can look at a room and you can make a single room look like anything you want, right? Because rooms are pretty much boxes. So you can, you can design a room to make it look like any style. But then once you start going room to room, the transitions between rooms are what in, at least in our house are what make it look like a certain period, like the trim in a, in a large doorway Ours has these like three little grooves in it. I don't know what you call that, but like the the door jam has these three little grooves in it. And that's a very specific style of trim from a specific 
era of house that was made it's like federal like federal stuff yeah which totally does not fit with what we're going for and it's weird that it's this one little piece of trim in between two rooms that look kind of mid-century like you know and this one little thing is the, is the thing that's really going to to break that illusion so uh we're even going to have to do some things like that just swapping out uh, door jams to kind of keep the illusion from room to room and then you outside the house and it's an 80s brick house. Like, I don't know how to make the outside of a house look like that, you know? Um, and so that's, I mean, we got a long way. Styrofoam and paint. You can do whatever that's you want. You make it look like Bonnie Rubble's house. Well, it's got a really interesting shape to it. And I, I don't, um, I don't even know how to describe it and describe why it doesn't look right. But it's interesting because, you know, from the inside, you can make any room look like you want it to. But then the outside it becomes a much bigger deal to change the facade of a house into the style um, that you want it to be, you know, if it's not already, but you said it's a brick house too. The actual texture of the brick face will also set it in time. Mm-hmm. So you have like that sharp edge fired brick and it kind of gets, it looks like eighties, nineties. If you have more of like a classic, just red brick that might weather a little bit, that makes it seem more turn of the century brick house. If you have like a fired white brick that looks like a schoolhouse administrator building you know yeah. the fired glossy brick so it all depends on that brick facade too even interesting things like in the corners of our house on the brick there's i don't know what you would call this but there's like an a section of the corner brick that's pushed out a little bit you know what i mean oh yeah so it's yeah. like there's like three yep. or four bricks tall and they're pushed out and then the next three or four bricks are flat with the wall and then the next three or four bricks are pushed out so you have it makes it really good mm-hmm for climbing but <laughs> it has a it has a very specific style and that's not something you can really undo i mean without like ripping off the brick on the side of your house so yeah. i don't know we're trying to figure out how to adjust the outside of the house to be closer i mean obviously we're not going to make it look like an original you know 60s 50s 60s house but um just to get the overall feeling so of it paint the brick too i mean to, to like completely slather the brick with paint would also yeah Give it a different look, but it depends on the color. And, and then whenever you paint brick, it's always the yeah, huge you can't decision. Go back. It's like <laughs> getting plastic surgery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, what about mixing styles? Like, have you have you guys done any projects where you like intentionally took elements of, you know, this specific style and this specific style and stuck them together, or do you try to keep things kind of in one direction? I think without thinking about it, I pull shaker style stuff all the time. Just. Um, really simple aprons on on tables and um the legs that have the uh um they get smaller a little like a taper taper, yeah thank you um i don't know i i want to say that i have a style but and then i look at when i look at my my catalog i'm like i'm all over the place and so i guess i'm not really conscious of me pulling from from this and that i'm just trying to fill a space and make it look visually pleasing to me yeah when i work on my own i'm working in more of a clean rustic style kind of like a modern rustic style i might say because i'll incorporate some steel some wood some dark wood some recycled wood but when i work for a client they like basically tear a page out of a catalog and say make me this so i'll just do whatever they want so if you look back at my portfolio, some of the stuff has been like, make me this with these elements that I need for my personal preference. 
And so whatever that style is, you know, sometimes it's a page at a nest. So it's like something super trendy, like burnt wood. I've done that a couple of times for clients. Burnt wood tables with chrome bolts. It's like super trendy. It's like something you'd see like in a Manhattan hair salon. Done a couple of tables like that. A couple of years ago. Now, now we're all, we kind of joking about river tables before we get started. But now everyone's making the river table where they take the live edge, point it to the middle and fill it with resin about, I guess about seven or eight, 10 years ago, everybody was burning stuff. So you'd go into like a little trendy hotel in New York and everything was burnt. I remember there was this one place in the city that had a pool table, a wooden pool table that somebody literally took and put in a fire because it was charred deep to the point where some of it was broken completely away. It was still working as a pool table. It was a billiards table where the balls would stay in each corner, but the edge of it was completely burnt and charred really deep. And they must have taken it, burnt it, and then impregnated it with epoxy because you could still touch it. Like all the broken off hmm. pieces were broken off by the artist that actually created the burn. So that's something you don't see as much anymore. Now you tend to see these river tables a lot. Yeah. At least on YouTube. I, I haven't really been looking through like magazines like Nest or Dwell or any of these kind of magazines. So I'm not exactly sure. But hmm. those those magazines kind of, those magazines to me are a little bit of a turnoff because they're super snobby. It seems like when I look through them, I see things that don't appeal to me personally. So well, I hardly ever look through them. I feel like magazines, maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like magazines are a reaction to what's happening rather than like the... The trendsetter. Yeah, the setting it. Yeah, it feels like, mm -hmm. you know, blogging and YouTube and stuff at this point is the thing that's happening on a daily basis, whereas magazines are on yeah, a monthly basis. Yeah, that's true. So. so I'm wondering if, if like the whole... I don't plan on making a river table, although I, I, I like the look of them and I like watching them being made because it's a really interesting technique. But I'm wondering if something comes out of that that's that's bigger than just a river table. So that 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 creamy metallic epoxy, maybe that's being used in, in, in some other form uh, in furniture. So maybe it turns into something else. It would be really nice to see a bowling ball made in that creamy uh -huh. metal. Oh, <laughs> Live edge bowling ball, dude. We got to do it. <clears throat> um, it. No, the one thing about the live edge tables with the with the resin, I'm, I, it just seems to me, I've seen old resin and it tends to pucker a little bit. I wonder how mm. it's going to last over time. I guess you could always you could always sand it down and refinish it from the top down. Uh, I did that steel edge table a couple of years ago and Nick Offerman wrote to me. He's like, I'd love to see what that's going to look like in a year. Kind of being curious <laughs> and being a little snarky, like you can't, you can't contain the wood. And it's in the shop. We haven't brought it to the house yet, but it's in the shop and it's still in really good shape. The wood has expanded and contracted, but the metal edge is attached to it, almost like a chainsaw belt. So that when the wood closes and opens, the, the actual edge goes in and out with it. Uh, the, the wood did shrink a little bit up and down. It's a little bit proud now of the actual metal only by like a fraction of a millimeter. You could just feel it. So it needs to be palm sanded again. So wood will always live and breathe next to something that doesn't necessarily live and breathe. So talking about that resin and where it attaches, it's, it will, in my gut feeling, in my professional opinion, it will start mm -hmm. to detach over time and you might have to inject more resin in there to get rid of that cloudy look that will yeah. occur when the resin pulls away from the wood. It's interesting that this that trend has really popped up in the last couple of years and the resins that are available now are different than the resins that were available to some degree, like 10 years ago. Mm. You know, what people put on bar tops in yeah. the 80s and 90s, that clear resin, 
is probably not the same formula. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, you said it kind of puckers over time and stuff. And you can, when you look at an old bar top with the clear coat, you can see that it, it has changed since it was put on. It'll be interesting to see if what's being put on now changes in the same ways or if it changes in a different way. I've, um, I know there's some really cool things that are happening right now as far as like people taking the li- or the river table idea and changing its shape a little bit. Like Brad Rodriguez did a like a waterfall thing mm-hmm. where he made one of those, but then he cut it so that it folds over a 90 degree angle and it's a bedside table. And so like that's a really good step, I think, in somebody taking the idea of it, of this table that's been done a bunch of times, but trying to use it in a new way. So do you... So this, this just popped into my brain. So what if if you found a way to leave like a 16th or 32nd inch gap between the epoxy and the wood and you put in like a clear silicone in there, something that could move? Is that a is that a technique that could be done or is is that going to get weird? Hmm. I don't know. I think it, it, it's difficult to say. You got to put one next to the other and then they definitely won't adhere to each other when you put oh, yeah, a silicone yeah, down yeah. there. That will adhere to the wood. That's it won't right. adhere to okay. the epoxy. Hmm. But you could, you know, there's an interesting thing to be said for coating the, the live edge on both sides, putting the epoxy in there, and then separating all three mm-hmm. of them. And now you have a futuristic uh, matrix <laughs> river table. Pull them all apart. Floating river table. <laughs> and put them on little tiny steel legs. And then when you walk into the room, you have to like stand still and spin around them. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Bullet time yeah. river table. Um, okay, so here's a question. Uh, a lot of people have done the, before the resin one, well, maybe not before. They they do river tables the glass with, one. with the glass, right? So how's that going to work over time as the wood changes shape and expands and contracts I think, with a really I tight, think that'll be better. You think so? Yeah, I, I'll be better because the wood, I, I, I've seen some of them. I actually saw one in the city up close and the glass just kind of, the glass drops into place. It's not adhered. And so it has the ability to expand and contract without leaving any evidence that it's detaching or, right. you know, it's not going to get to the point where it's going to pucker and crush the glass because they leave a little bit of a space for it to breathe. Hmm. But making that, that piece of glass is obviously complicated. And I think it was Malecki who moved a big piece that had a big oddball cut edge of glass. And he was real nervous that he was going to break the glass moving it. I think it was about, about 10 months ago. So if you made a, big piece of that glass that has a oddball edge it's always susceptible to breaking anytime you move glass obviously it's dangerous but if you have a piece that has an odd shape where the one end is heavier than the middle you know you can even pick it up the wrong way and break it but if you stay small it's it's manageable but you gotta have a guy cut that glass for you yeah grinders and stuff yeah that that's the crazy part to me is actually getting the glass cut to the right shape i haven't seen how that's done well, you make a wooden pattern and then you make that wooden pattern fit in there perfectly. And then you take that wooden pattern and they use that. Well, yeah, but I mean, like how does, what's the process for them to actually grind that glass down? Like, what do they use? Oh, I've never seen glass cut. A wet, a wet saw. Uh, there, there, I, there is actually a wet, uh, there, I know for, I know there's a small one because my dad has it. It's a wet bandsaw. It's soaked with water and it has a diamond bandsaw blade and that's for cutting pieces of stained glass. So maybe they have a big one for huh. for cutting that, that other bigger glass, that thicker glass. It has a little blade. It's about three sixteenths and it's all soaked in water. It's all made out of plastic. This particular one my dad has, it's for small pieces of glass and you could 
run a piece of glass right through it. It takes a little bit. You got to be obviously careful with it. I just Ooh, bought this book a couple days there? ago. Glass uh, Basics. Stained Glass Basics. Oh, yeah. Stained Glass Basics. Because I want to get into some stained glass stuff. So maybe in a few weeks I can answer some of those questions as I break stuff. Oh, yeah. Stained Glass is fun. I, I did a lot of it back in when my dad got into it and he got me into it. My dad gave me a set of tools and I did a few pieces, but I, I've been thinking about doing it again. It's funny you brought it up too. Somebody gave me a, days, a box of stained glass stuff like bef- like when she moved out of Savannah years ago and it's been sitting in that box ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Never had a reason to use it. But Cool. Well, no, it's fun to do. You got anything else on design or anything? Do you think about your pieces 30, 40 years down the road where they'll be? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, so it's funny. Garage. We have the, there's um one of the very first things that I that I made in my ten foot by ten foot shop, which this was way before I was making videos, is this little TV stand um, that I made for Kelly before um, we were even living together. So and I gave it to her as a Christmas gift, and so now we have this this TV stand, and it could last forever, but I don't want it anymore. So it's like. How, I got to figure out how to get rid of this thing. Like, do I donate it to Goodwill? Yeah, Springtime we garage big, sale. We have a big trash bin in our driveway right now from the um, remodel. So I could, it could go, easily go in there. But I don't know. Maybe it ends up at Goodwill. Put it on eBay. Put things on eBay. Your fans might want some Oh, I'm stuff not shipping that, that thing. And it's one of the first things I ever made. There's so <laughs> many people would nitpick it. And... Hey, wouldn't you want the first thing Le- uh, Leonardo da Vinci made? <laughs> you make a good point, Jimmy. But I am not putting myself in that category, by the way. So. <laughs> hey, you only get put in that category with the uh, death yeah, and time. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Save every save everything. I don't know. Like I, I've never really, I've never really thought about you know what's going to happen to the stuff that I'm making down the road. I I just kind of don't expect that it'll be stuff that people would want to hang on to. You never know, Bob. You're approaching 2 million subscribers. <laughs> that thing over your shoulder there, that, that plastic potato blaster gun that you made, what is that? That thing over your shoulder there? Oh, yeah, the Optimus Prime gun? Yeah, that thing will be in the Smithsonian. Bob made a large <laughs> Optimus Prime gun in his seventh year on YouTube hmm. before he hit the river glass table. <laughs> <era. laughs> oh, man. Before he hit the 3D printed live edge table era. 3D printed live edge table. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Cool. That's like that's it. yours to do now. See, I'm from the future. I know all these right. things. <laughs> Pachuto, save that first table you made. I'm telling you. There's just nowhere for it to go. Yeah. Yeah, David, go back and or go forward and on that piece of paper that you put in oh, the yeah. wall in Savannah in nineteen ninety seven, make sure that you write three D printed live edge table so that I remember. So that. here's my or wait, no, you gotta you gotta spray paint it on Jimmy's oh, wall yeah, in his yeah. kitchen so he sees so it. So here's my uh my visualization of the three D printed live edge table is you know when the three D printer messes up and it makes spaghetti? That's yeah, that's yeah. that's the live edge. Cause that's, that's a natural Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Cast in resin. Dude, I'm totally writing All this right. down. <laughs> <laughs> totally writing this down. Uh, cool. You well, can make an, a beautiful 3D live edge table that's about four inches long. It'd be wonderful. Very useful. I think uh, <laughs> well, yeah. well, uh, function over form, Bob. 
So I don't know if that that, oh, that yeah. four inch table is gonna gonna work. Bob, you know what you should do get. I'm telling you, do this. Get a, a little slab, cut it, face it together. Somehow scan and make a scan that negative space and 3D print it and just like orange and stick it in there. Hmm. And that'll be the first of your 3D live edge printed scan <laughs> era. 3D printed river table. Yeah. That yeah. will be the that will be the introduction into the I'm trying to make this sound epic. I can't <laughs> yeah, think of the word. It's not gonna happen. I have the same vocabulary as Trump. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. It'll well, be big, bigly, bigly, bigly 3D printed tables. It's gonna be bigly. Massive. Bigly. Okay. Well, um, you guys been watching anything cool? Anything new? Yes. Um uh, so yeah. this person if you're a musician, you're going to watch these videos and you're just going to hate her because she's incredibly talented. That sounds funny. <laughs> I, I, uh, her name is uh, Elise Trove. I don't know how to say her name, um, but she uh, so she does these mashups. So she'll take like two songs. So the, the link that I'm putting here is Radiohead Meets the Police. And she uses a looping pedal and she'll play a loop on the drums. She'll move over to the bass. She'll play a loop on the bass. She'll play the guitar. She'll sing a little bit. She'll add a little bit of um, electric piano and and then stop and start these loops. And she creates these most amazing songs. It's so good. It's, it's incredible. Awesome. Crazy talented. That's cool. Looking so I'm going to recommend Raina's Universe. Raina is my friend who is here for her birthday over the weekend. Her and her dad came. Her dad is a, an old friend of mine. And actually her dad, Randolph, is a friend of mine who helped me shoot a lot of the early TV pitches that we did. So he was involved in some of the early TV pitches that we did that ended up becoming TV shows. He's a New York City fashion photographer and Raina and him had come to the shop a lot and then she started getting into YouTube and then she would come over and we would collab on some videos. And then, so over the weekend, she came over here with a box of candy from Korea. She's in this like a snack, snack box thing she got for her birthday. So she's going to get six months of boxes of candy from different parts of the world. So last night we, we did a review on all the candy in this box from oh. Korea. We had a laugh and Taylor's in it too. So check out Rainy's Universe where we review a snack box. She's the one that cut the baseball in half in your shop, right? Hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 Did I tell you I was at Maker Fair, New York, and she and her dad walked up to me, and we're like, oh, "Hey, really? Bob!" And I was like, "Hey, Raina, I know you just from your videos." It was funny because it was like, "Oh yeah, oh, no, I know you are." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah, got to talk to him for just a minute. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Cool. It's Randolph. Um, so check them out. Yeah, and I saw a little bit. On, did you do some of that on your Instagram? Is that where it was? Where you were eating candy? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I, I just previewed the story because she was here. We did that yesterday afternoon and they took the train back to the city. So it's a two hour train ride. She edited the video on the train. As soon as she got to the city, she published it. So we did it. And then nice. like four or three or four hours later, it was up. So I did a little Instagram follow up on what I've been doing. So that was awesome. one of the things I posted. Cool. Um, so I've talked about Andrew Huang before, uh, the musician, and he he's amazing. And if you haven't checked him out, you really should. But he did a video this past week, uh, I think it was this past week, about, it's called Why I'm Taking a Break from YouTube. And it's one of those that like, I don't know, he, he said really good stuff at 
at the right time. And he's not like quitting YouTube or anything like that, but he is incredibly prolific. He produces music constantly, videos constantly, and they're really, really well edited and really funny and creative. And he's just like, I don't know how he does everything that he does. Um, but this video is just about him saying like, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm kind of backing off a little bit because I need, like, I've just been two heads down in work and I need to like breathe a little bit. And the the reason I want to, I want people to watch it is because it's a really healthy take on like, I work because I love to work, but at the same time, I'm realizing that sometimes I love to work a little too much and I just need to back off so that I can be better at it, you know? And I think it, the way he kind of puts it together and says it is really good. And I was feeling a lot of the same stuff like while I was watching him, uh, watching this video. So, and you know, of course I want to encourage him to, to do that. He's a friend of mine and I want to encourage him to, to do it and come back stronger and continue making amazing videos and music and stuff. But, um, yeah, I don't know if you're a creator or you're thinking about it, you should probably go watch it. Cause it's a pretty good little, comment on like how much work this is and and how it's easy to get kind of lost in just like producing all the time because i know i find myself there on a pretty regular basis never it never ends it, never it really ends. didn't yeah it's surprising that would be a whole topic maybe sometime mm. about um yeah how it just never ends <laughs> <laughs> doing something you love too much yeah or yeah Maybe we can find a topic yeah. around that because I think it yeah. might be interesting for people. Cool. Um, well, let me, uh, before we go, let me thank our Patreon supporters. We've had quite a few new ones this week, and, which is really awesome. Um, but especially Wise Old Dow, Evan and Caitlin, Corey Ward, Malton Make, Works by Solo, Michael Schubert, Dor Sharir, Chad from Mancrafting, and Make Build Modify. They're our top supporters over there. And um, everybody who supports at any level, and I say this every week, I feel like I should probably come up with a new way to say it, but everybody that supports us at any level gets our after show, which is more of us talking and sometimes some secret stuff. <laughs> sometimes. And sometimes it's us yawning for 15 minutes. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's never that. Which has it's a value. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's totally worth, worth money. <laughs> I just want to say, uh, I think we found somebody to do the editing of the podcast. I'm not going to mention this person's name just yet. Um, but I want to say thank you for everybody that wrote in because most of the people that wrote in were like way overqualified to like yeah. super crazy talented people who have all this experience with audio editing and website um, design and updating abilities. You want to tell people Dr. Dre applied for the job, <laughs> but we told him. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. Uh, thank you, Dr. Dr. Dre. Yes, the dope producer. Thank you, Doctor Gray. So, um, anyways, I just wanted to to mention that, and um, I'm probably is it is it bad for me to not send an individual email to everybody saying I found somebody? Can I can I just say this here on 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 air? I think saying it here okay. is okay. All right, with a sincere thank you from all three of us for for reaching out and trying to help. That's that is really awesome. We got a lot of response yeah. for that. That's great. And and everybody's emails still sitting there. You never know. Things yes. don't work out. There's yep. Actually, I have them all in a folder. And if I need to go back to them, I have them all right there. Yeah. Yep. Did you send cool. me Dr. Dre's well. email? I have an idea. 
do that. I have an idea for headphones. <laughs> They're called bleats. <laughs> deletes. Shaped like deletes. All right, cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Love you. I love Dr. Dre. Aww. Mm, I do. I listen all the time. Thank you.